Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I'm speaking to an awesome man who takes video game soundtracks and kind of converts them into film type scores. He's done it for Chrono Trigger, Zelda, Metroid and more. Sam Dillard, how you doing man? I'm doing great, thanks for having me. No worries. I see you're like, you're quite well built man, you're a really buff guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, probably not as good shape as I used to be, but um, it's a combination of, you know, just like being athletic and martial arts and all kinds of random stuff, but I think that uh, it's important to have a healthy body as well as a healthy mind, so. For sure, for sure. Because what type of martial arts do you do? So I actually do um, what you would consider the traditional Chinese, like Kung Fu stuff. So I do Taiji Chuan, which is the more martial, you know, authentic version of Tai Chi. And my main style is called Xing Yi Chuan, which is, um, which is a kind of military boxing style um, that's been around since like the 1500s. So it's pretty powerful and pretty cool. That's, that's probably my favorite. But uh, yeah, I do a couple animal styles, um, you know, some some Chinese, what's called chen nao, like locking stuff. So just kind of a, a little mix of everything. But my main focus is on the the what they call the internal arts, which is tai chi and xing yi chen. All right. So how did you get into that? Well, mostly. Um, I mean, I've always liked you know martial arts flicks and stuff, um, you know, Jet Li movies and things like that. But I had a friend who started learning um he lives about half an hour away and he would come over and be like hey man check this out and knock me across the room and i'd be like all right yeah whatever that's pretty cool so he kept pestering me to come check it out and so i did you know i, I expect to go in and see a bunch of big guys you know wrestling each other and stuff because i'm i'm very average size and everyone in texas is like you know six foot seven foot eight foot bunch <laughs> but uh but yeah, I went in there and it was uh it was interesting how they were talking about, you know, body mechanics, sort of using like redirecting redirecting force and stuff. And so that peaked like my my science nerd aspect. And uh my friend ended up, you know, leaving shortly after, but I stayed and I've been doing that about fifteen years now or so. Yeah, about fifteen. Um I happen to be lucky that this pretty well uh, renowned sort of pioneer in the internal arts happens to live here in Texas about half an hour away. Um, actually, I think he opened the first Chinese Kung Fu school in Texas and one of the first in the, uh, in the country. This is back in like the, the early seventies or so after like the, you know, the, uh, the Bruce Lee, uh, Kung Fu and, uh, you know, all the, the Bruce Lee sort of martial arts stuff was, was, was big in TV. Sure. So, a lot of people suddenly became interested in the, the Chinese martial arts and Kung Fu. So. Mm. Have you competed in any tournaments? You don't want to get into MMA or anything? No, we, uh, we're primarily a self-defense and health school. So we do, you know, some sparring and stuff, but we've never really been interested in, in tournaments and things like that. Um, I mean, I, I watch a little bit of MMA, boxing, stuff like that, but um, but for the most part, um, the emphasis is on, you know, what are you going to do <laughs> if you, you know, walk outside and someone jumps out and attacks you kind of thing, um, more, more realistic, I guess, kind of self-defense stuff, but um, for the most part, like, you know, it, there's kind of a divide between the traditional old school uh, martial arts and like the MMA stuff. Um, I'm not sure why this is like this, but it just is. But, you know, you, you've got like the MMA guy saying, oh, the the Kung Fu stuff is just all for show, which honestly, a lot of it is in in modern times, because back in the uh, in the communist revolution, which was the early 1900s or so, um, they basically started imprisoning all the people in China, all these masters and stuff who actually had skills and could possibly be some sort of threat to the new regime, you know, like the, the dictator handbook <laughs> one-on-one kind of a thing. And so a lot of those guys actually fled to the, to the United States. And uh, the founder of my school just happened to live next door to one of them. So 
we uh, kind of have a sort of family style um, system that's been passed down for about 400 years now. So it's pretty cool to be a part of that. But, you know, you've got the, the uh, like the YouTube videos and stuff of <laughs> the Tai Chi guys challenging some MMA guy to a fight and getting his ass beat because unfortunately a lot of the martial arts from China these days are either very watered down which is intentional because they purposely sort of nerfed the uh, the martial arts styles in China so that nobody could really learn any kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat skills or weapons or whatever um, and it all became just sports you know demonstrations and stuff like see these really cool uh, young people in China and the Olympics and things like that just doing all kinds of crazy stuff and then you know five years later they're wearing knee braces because that stuff takes a toll and it's not really for 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 martial intent um but the difference i guess is that you know and you have this sort of tai chi culture now which is it's it's cool that it's getting popular again tai chi but it's kind of getting popular for the wrong reasons because you have what you call the uh the butterfly tai chi where you have the old people in the park just kind of you know Hmm. around you can make some nice movements but there's no power there there's no martial uh intent there and so when one of these guys decides you know to challenge some ufc dude um of course he's <laughs> it's not going to go well for them but that's that's kind of one of the reasons why finding a good sort of traditional martial arts school that is teaching the authentic version of the style for actual, you know, combat, self-defense, um, it's pretty rare. And so I definitely consider myself lucky to have been a part of that. Because mm. do you watch a film and look at the martial arts and start critiquing it? Sometimes. I mean, you know, and it's the same with um, music or, you know, I do like visual effects stuff. So when whenever you're involved in the, the creative aspect of it, of course, you're naturally going to kind of critique it or, you know, you can't help it. I try to just turn my brain off and enjoy it. But there's a lot of times when, um you know, you'll see some fight that goes on for 10 minutes and everyone's like, da -da 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 -da, hitting each other. You know, no human being that could ever possibly withstand getting punched in the face with the full powered body shot, you know, over and over and then <laughs> still be uh, totally, you know, ready to go for another 10 minutes so like that that kind of thing is a little annoying especially when the movie is trying to present itself as being like authentic or realistic and most of the time they're not because you know in in, in a real situation it, it'll last a couple seconds pretty much whoever gets in the first hit is probably going to probably going to win you don't have this fancy parrying and he blocks everything and the other guy blocks everything and you have this like back and forth kind of stuff so that's a little bit cringy but honestly it doesn't bother me as long as it looks cool then then i'm totally fine with it so yeah i think i read somewhere that you said that you apply the disciplines that you learn from martial arts into music can you yeah can you explain how exactly well um there's a lot of i guess similarities between the martial arts idea, uh, philosophy, and music. I mean, you know, on the surface, you have things like timing, uh, rhythm, and understanding the flow, how to blend between, you know, two different types of things, which philosophically you could apply to music. But also, and especially in the internal arts, like the Tai Chi, Tai Chi Chuen, um, there's a lot of emphasis on feeling and sensing what's happening you know you touch someone's arm and you feel where their balance is and you feel how the slightest movement can kind of you know disrupt their their balance and then it's easy to push them over so when working on music um that kind of sensitivity thing i find applies as well because you can kind of get the feeling that something's not really working too well um Cause I'm not really what you call like a technical composer or artist. Cause I'm, I'm totally self-taught. Um, I don't really know a whole lot of like music theory kind of stuff. So everything that I do is just purely based on how it feels and 
you know, figuring things out by ear. And so everything that I do, I want it to have more than like just a good sound quality, which is important. I want it to have like an effect, uh, make people feel something when they listen to it. And I think being able to, you know, get in touch physically with how to kind of relax and find this zone where you're hypersensitive physically and mentally, um, I think they, they work pretty well together. And also when, you know, the program crashes and you've lost like an hour of music, it's good to go out and punch things. So. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Because one of the things I really like about the music you've done is the sound palette that you use or the sample palette. It sounds really realistic. I mean, at first I thought you were using, uh, you know, a particular program or a plugin, but you created this entire library on your own, right? You customized it. it yeah, it's most of my stuff is heavily customized. Um, when I first started doing digital music, um, mostly orchestral based, and this is like the early 2000s, like 2003 or four or something like that, uh, most of the sound libraries were really hard to use and you know very unuser friendly. And the funny thing is the sound quality itself is just as good as it was today because you know they've been recording you know, sound tracks or film and TV or whatever for decades. So it's not an issue of the actual sound quality. It's the issue of the playability and the usability of the instruments. And that's really where I um, am really picky about everything because and my old keyboard here, which is about 20 years old, I have a customized orchestral thing that's touch sensitive. And it doesn't sound amazing but it's very expressive and that's what's important to me. And I kind of wanted that out of the more higher end computer uh, orchestral samples. And so there might be, you know, like one instrument that sounds great, but the other ones kind of sound, you know, crappy or it's not that they're crappy. It's just, it's not what I am personally looking for, like the, the certain tone that I look for. So I'll take like one instrument out of the library and I'll heavily customize it. Sometimes you basically just have to bounce it to audio and like edit the audio and like, you know, filter it and stuff. Sometimes I'll put like a, a high pass filter to really get like an expressive sort of rise in, in the tone. Um, takes forever, but I, <laughs> yeah. you know, the the end result is if if I feel like this has some kind of spirit to it, like some kind of life, then that's really really what I'm looking for in the music. So, Yeah, well, I thought for a small period that it was an actual live orchestra. So well done, man. Well done. I actually thought it was. <laughs> That's a big compliment because, you know, when I first started posting stuff online, this is probably 2005, six, something like that. Um, I've been composing since I was 10 or 11 years old. But I never really shared. Of course, we didn't have internet back in the you know early '90s and stuff either, so you didn't really have an outlet. But when I started posting stuff, um, the first thing that people said was, you know, this did you re actually record this? Because I thought everybody worked like that. I thought everybody spent you know till four in the morning trying to tweak this one note to make it sound you know perfect um, and realistic because that's kind of what I wanted. Because I I really love film scores. Um, like the old school sort of 80s, 90s type stuff. And that's kind of always been my approach. So when I play something out and it sounds really flat and kind of, you know, midi fakish, um, I'll just dig in and try and find the most expressiveness that I can get out of, out of all that stuff. And so trying to, it's not even that I'm trying to go for pure realism as I'm trying to go for you know that liveliness that playability because i i play everything out on the keyboard i don't you know program notes or anything like that everything is you know hand uh hand performed and i have a lot of uh sort of touch sensitive uh filters on my keyboard that translate over so you really have to kind of feel feel the music i guess a little bit more and i think that's that's sort of become like my uh my spiel trying to get sort of this big, huge Hollywood style, uh, realistic symphonic sound out of 
for a long time were really old, <laughs> really old samples. Um, it really wasn't until recently that I started upgrading some of my hardware and my software to uh, to catch up with modern times. And now, of course, you load up like a, an instrument and it's super playable and it's really easy. Um, back when I was doing orchestral stuff, like in the uh, mid 2000s, you would have to literally like program every note transition, like, you know, one note up, it has sort of a, a legato sample, like a horn or something. Like you have to manually say, okay, this is transitioning from one note up and then one note down and then like different, uh, different velocity levels and stuff. Like you had to do all that manually. And now, you know, it's a lot more fun because you could just play it out and the, the software is pretty good at, at uh, figuring out what you're trying to do. But even, even now, um, I still do a lot of customizing with my stuff because I just have a really particular uh, a really particular sound that I'm looking for. And I tried to be consistent, you know, with my, with my work. Um, and it's just, it's been, it's been a very slow going process over, over many years, but I've, I kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work. And it's also a matter of writing kind of music around what, you know, the limitations are, because if you know, this instrument sounds really good in this little range here but it kind of sounds weird choppy or something later on then you know i'll make the music just feature that in that one little register or whatever and then figure out something else to do um i found that trying to force the instruments to do what you want them to do isn't always the best idea because then you can kind of tell that you know it it sort of brings you out of it because you can say oh that that sounds really fake or something so yeah, well, it's it's very unique for you. I mean, the Metroid Cinematica project that you did, I mean, there's nothing like it. I haven't heard anything like it. And you did it quite a while ago now, didn't you? Yeah, that was my first big um, solo album because Metroid has always been my favorite franchise. Super Metroid still, I think, my favorite game period of all time. And, of course, I love the soundtrack as well. So I've always wanted to do like a full-blown uh, Metroid album. I've been doing Metroid uh, remixes since I was like 12 and just, you know, on the old crappy Casio keyboards and stuff like da 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 trying to trying to play back the stuff because, you know, I didn't have a computer or anything back then. So I would play the game and try and remember the tunes and try and figure out like how all the notes went because I didn't I didn't know, you know, actual notation or anything like that. <laughs> But uh, and I still don't honestly, but uh, but I I kind of uh, I kind of sort of got propelled into doing game music because of Metroid, and like when Super Metroid came out, it really made me want to be like a game designer and composer and all that stuff. And uh, just over the years, I always seem to come back to Metroid, and you know, I also like like the techno industrial kind of sound of like the Metroid Prime games and stuff, and so. So what I wanted to do with uh, Metroid Cinematica is basically do kind of the the film score to like the non-existent movie type thing, because I kind of writ out like a uh, like a plot, you know, sort of um, beats that you would see in the movies, like oh she she kills Mother Brain here, and then the the planet's exploding, she flies out. That's one one of the the finale tracks and I, I try to convey that through the music kind of uh, musical storytelling type thing but one of the things that I did was I, I tried to make sort of the super metroid the older metroids um, kind of have more of the prime sound and so that was kind of my like design philosophy is the big orchestral stuff but what if you know metroid super metroid or whatever um, was written in the in the prime sort of philosophy because prime has kind of a different tone than the the older ones it has that more sort of you know bizarre uh uh electronic sort of ambient background stuff i mean the older ones did too but but that sort of the best way i describe it is like radioactive like everything feels like radioactive in metroid prime it just has that you know kind of bubbling strange strangeness and I, I try to add some of that into the score but but overall I it was kind of a fusion between that and just like a what if this was like a big budget Hollywood film with a big you know huge cool epic type score and that's that's 
in my approach for that. And it was pretty tough. It's pretty tough trying to figure out the best approach for each theme because I didn't just want to redo the theme. Here's this, you know, here's Craig, here's Ridley or whatever. I wanted to really have a, kind of a unique approach to it but still makes sense and flows because every song kind of flows uh, into the next one because I kind of designed the whole thing as one big sort of story block and, and figured out, all right, this is where I'm going to put this. The big, you know, the like the Omega Pirate battle thing is going to be here. And so I kind of kind of arranged it like that, kind of um, almost more visually than just trying to come up with some cool, <laughs> some cool music. But uh, I'm glad it turned out well. Yeah. So did you, so I take it you created like a bit of a plot outline as a starting point, as a template. And then when you're composing it, were you thinking, okay, I'm going to include all these different tracks, kind of like a medley, or did you just kind of freestyle it? And then as you were doing it, you, you were like, oh, I'll introduce this theme and I'll do this here. Like how, how was it? How was the process of actually creating it? Everything really. Um, I did have kind of an outline because this is just something that I've done a lot because I also like to write. Um, I, I like reading screenplays. I, I try to write stuff as much as I can. Um, I've been doing that for about as long as I've been doing music. And so I've always had the idea of like coming up with like a cool Metroid, you know, movie and like here's the backstory and here's this and that. But when it comes to doing an album like this, like if it was for a film score, of course, it would be the one-to-one -one matching to the, the picture and the story. But this is kind of like halfway between that, like some parts, like, yeah, I have like, you know, an actual outline of she's running away from something and something blows up. And then you, you kind of have that, that sort of soundtrack progression. But then because it's just an album for people to listen to, I also have a lot of stuff where it just is like, all right, this is a cool way to do this song and it'll kind of you know flow into the next one so it, it kind of goes between like a story thing and then like you know just for the sake of making the music that the way that i wanted to do because a lot of the stuff that i do is really just kind of making the music that uh that i want to like to hear as a fan um because it was a long time this is before like you know oc remix and these big sort of uh, remixing sites um, it was a long time there where it was just like there wasn't any new Metroid games or anything like that and so I would just kind of tinker around like make my own fake Metroid score this is before Metroid Prime came out like I made like five or six tracks of like what was if I was doing the next Metroid game how would that be and just imagining these different you know areas and levels and stuff so it, it's kind of a combination of all of that um, with Metroid Timonica but it has for the most part, like a solid sort of story structure, like it has the beginning and then there's a track um, called Orphan that's supposed to be like Samus's backstory and like imagine her like learning how to use all of her, you know, abilities and stuff and like running and, and using like the speed boost for the first time, you know, all just things like that. And that's kind of how the track progresses. And then later on, you have like the big finale stuff where the plan is exploding and leaves. And then the last track is kind of like the resolution to all that. Like she's walking out of the mist of this huge, you know, explosion or whatever. I try to try to convey that um, through the music as much as I can, um, which is, is difficult. Um, I definitely went through a few different, you know, variations of it. But um, in the end, you, you just it's, it's kind of like, you know, taking a metal detector out somewhere is like you, you pick up a signal and then it gets stronger here. And then you kind of zero in on, this is the sound right here. You know, this is, this is the way it, that feels right. So that's, that's kind of how it ended up. And, uh, I wasn't sure if I would be able to pull it off because I'd never done a full length album before I'd done individual remixes, quite a few before that, but this was the first time that I said, all right, I'm going to spend some time and come up with, an entire album um i didn't know if anybody would ever hear it but <laughs> uh, yeah well, they did yeah they did and i'm i'm very very glad that a lot of fans uh enjoyed it so yeah. that that kind of inspired me to keep doing more of these albums because it was you know probably 
six or seven months or something just working on that. Um, and then I did several more and all of that because that first Metroid album did so well. So, Yeah, so did you apply the same techniques when you did, say, the Zelda one and the Chrono Trigger one? Sort of. Um, each one kind of is its own beast. Um, I've always loved the Chrono Trigger soundtrack. Like that was, it's probably still my favorite RPG. Um, I just thought it was, you know, amazing. Mm. Um, Mitsuda is just super awesome <laughs> as far as that blending of like every type of genre and style together to make that really crazy, like timeless sort of sound for Chrono Trigger. Um, which is very appropriate for the game that spans multiple timelines. And I kind of wanted to do something similar, but the the trick is there's a lot of, you know, remixes out these days. Um, a lot of really good, you know, covers of stuff, especially a few of the songs out of Chrono Trigger are remixed all the time. And you hear, you know, rock versions and the techno versions and, you know, the ambient versions. And so one of the things that I have to figure out is, you know, how can I find an interesting way to present this that stays true to the spirit of the original, but has kind of my own vision for it. And so really Chrono Trigger wasn't so much a, um, a linear story type thing as, uh, as Metroid was or Zelda, but it was kind of more like self-contained little mini stories. Um, like one of my tracks, um, the character Frog, who kind of ends up becoming this brave, you know, knight character and finds a sword and cuts through the mountain. Like I, I kind of went through those story beats and his particular theme for the for the song. And then some of the others are just like, you know, here's my take on if I had composed this song, here's kind of how I would have done it if I had taken, you know, if I had magically absorbed, you know, Mitsuda's inspiration for this particular track, like here's how I would have done it and try to do again, a more sort of cinematic, uh, grand scale type, uh, sound to it. And yeah, that one, that one was pretty tough as well. That was probably harder than Metroid because it's much more thematic. Like Metroid is a lot more ambient. Um, there's, you know, the, the melodic stuff here and there. But for the most part, it's kind of, you know, alien background music. And that, in a way, makes it easier to work with because I can kind of do my own thing with it, you know, and figure out my own way to kind of make it more uh, more melodic and thematic and stuff. But Chrono Trigger is very thematic. And it's really easy to just get into the the rhythm of just redoing the track exactly the way it was with, you know, better sounding instruments, basically, which is not what I want to do. I want to reimagine everything. And I, I do a lot of times where I kind of uh, morph themes together, you know, or have two themes going like simultaneously and stuff like there's two, like there's a split screen happening and there's like two different, you know, uh, two different storylines going on at the same time. So a lot of that kind of stuff, but it was a lot more self-contained as I went through it. And um, I think it uh, the sound quality is definitely improved with each album as I figure out how to, because I do all my mastering and, you know, editing myself as well. And so figuring out how to balance everything, um, I, I kind of learn a little something each time and try to apply everything that I've learned to the next one. Because mm, mm. we'll say with Zelda, Zelda has a lot of orchestral type elements to it anyway. Unlike say maybe Chrono Trigger and uh, Metroid, well, particularly the newer ones of Zelda, right? So say Breath of the Wild, uh, it has a lot more orchestral elements. So how do you try to do something different? And Zelda gets remixed all the time. Pretty much every single genre has been done with Zelda. So how did you make sure that you were being distinctive? Well, that is exactly the problem that I faced because, and again, I... Uh, if, if Super Metroid is my favorite game, I would say that A Link to the Past um, on Super Nintendo is probably my second favorite. Um, I've been doing, you know, cover songs of that since I was a kid as well. And so I've always had ideas the way that I would do it. And then 
Um, occasionally you'll hear like a uh, someone does a really cool cover that's kind of similar to that. But my main approach is really saying, okay, if this was done as a film, like a really epic, grandiose adventure film, how would I do it? And my, my idea for Zelda Cinematica, because there's so many different Zelda games that are all like their own little self-contained universe, but all sort of kind of intertwined in this weird sort of multiverse type thing. Um, I try to imagine like this multiverse where there were all these different storylines happening together. And one of the approaches that I had to doing the music was sort of like for the Gerudo Valley um, score example, a uh, that's a song that gets remixed all the time. And there's a lot of orchestral remixes as well. But my idea was this kind of swashbuckling, like desert adventure film, like, you know, the, the, the old, the mummy movies and stuff. Um, that was kind of my approach. So I, I tried to maybe do a little bit more classical, um, classical style with it. But another one of my big philosophies with, um, my Zelda album was Breath of the Wild had just come out and it had a very different tone with its music, very minimalist kind of interesting ambient uh, sound, which is very different than the previous Zelda games. And one of the things that I thought would be cool to do was, again, kind of like what I did um, with my Metroid soundtrack, what I did was I kind of reimagined some of the themes as if they were done breath of the wild style so the sort of like minimalist sort of you know piano ambient type stuff like i would say all right let's take this song and let's breath of the wild if i you know and make it um kind of sound as if it were you know you you go into an area and all of a sudden it's like the breath of the wild version of this theme so that was my approach for a lot of the stuff and you, you kind of hear it sprinkled here and there. I didn't want it to overwhelm the album. Um, I think because there's so many Zelda themes across so many different games, like the biggest challenge was just figuring out like what songs to use, how to use them and how to put them together because each track actually is designed as like one continuous song. Um, a lot of the themes directly phase into the next track and that directly phases into the next track. Um, sometimes the theme doesn't even really finish in one track. It kind of ramps up and then it actually finishes in the next track as it's morphing to, you know, another song. And so th this is one of the reasons why it, it's better to listen to the album um, sequentially, you know, in order, because it's very much designed that way. If you listen to it out of order, it just sounds, you know, like, you don't really see the connection between everything, but that was something that I spent a lot of time on, just making one big interconnected score. But the other trick was um, I didn't want it to just be like a symphony type presentation. Like here's this theme, okay, here's that theme, okay. You know, I really wanted everything to, to almost have like a playful dance because there'll be themes and then there's another totally different theme happening in the background um, I took one of the tracks um, called Dangerous Elements. I took sort of some of the bosses, just the random bosses, or like there's a rock boss and there's, you know, an ice boss. And I thought, would it be cool if you're fighting all these things together? And so I, I kind of have like, you know, the there's the Talus, the big rock monster thing from Breath of the Wild. Um, I had his theme kind of going in and then it sort of becomes the, the, there's a thing called Mulgara in um, in uh, uh, Wind Waker, and it was a uh, is a pretty popular song. It's a big desert worm thing, and so I thought, how how could I make these layer together? And I didn't just have it like cut from one theme to the next. I had them actually like there's a period where it's like they're both going simultaneously and they're like fused together. And I don't I'm not sure why I did that. I just thought it would be thought it'd be interesting because it's always fun to try and figure out like how you can morph, you know, two different themes together, but if they feel like they're happening uh, simultaneously, like part of the same story. I did this for um, one of my more popular tracks that I did. I did a, a Star Trek uh, big orchestral um, remix for all of the classical 
series like the original um you had like star trek the next generation and deep space nine and voyager and they all have really cool you know theme songs and so i i kind of blended all of those together into like a, a single symphony and i that just seems to be like my go-to style like instead of just having a medley where it's like okay here's you know this and this and this sometimes they're just all simultaneously happening like one big crazy uh symphony and i did that with a lot of the songs in zelda another reason i did that was a practical reason because there's just so much music and it had to fit on a cd and you know or two cds actually but there's just there's there's really no other way without making like a 10 cd crazy like you know six hour long album or whatever to cover every single theme yeah uh, fair enough full full length you know and so I thought, all right, how can I sort of mix some of these together? And some of them just have cameos. Like if it, if it fits a particular sort of theme of, of a song, I'll have like a little cameo appearance of, you know, some some random theme. But, um, but yeah, for the most part, it was very much sort of a film, uh, film score style approach mixed with trying to see a lot of the stuff through the lens of the new uh, Breath of the Wild sort of tone because mm. you also do animation as well right well, like visual effects i mean i saw your little uh i think it's beyond the glass is it where you did your little visual effect intro of uh the meridia sequence from metroid right but that is so good how long did it take you to do that thank you um that took about six or seven months seven months yeah i actually originally planned to do a longer sequence because um, this was basically just a music video for the song that I did the beyond the glass song um, I worked on a a uh, Metroid album a big fan album called Harmony of a Hunter um, yeah. which had a lot yeah. of different uh, artists involved and I was one of them and so I thought it would be cool to have a music video for my Meridia song and so I storyboarded out this whole sequence it's like five minutes long or however long the song was and I started doing the animation and you know my my computer was a little bit uh lacking for my ambition <laughs> at the time and uh you know it would take like hours to render a few seconds and it just became too much of a time sort of thing because i was just working on this working on this and and a lot of that i was kind of figuring out as i went because i've been doing 3d animation and just visual art stuff on my own just as a as a hobby for a long time but i'd never really like done anything with it as far as creating like a full-fledged animation especially with like character animation and you know animated creatures and the whole like environment and so a lot of that i was figuring out as i went and it was just taking a long time so you get like a two minute intro or whatever and then it just like cuts to like game footage and i actually got a lot of uh a lot of criticism for that because people are like oh why did you why did you just stop it why didn't you finish the whole thing you know i was like i would if i could i probably could now with um with the hardware that i have but yeah at, at that point it was just um i wanted more than just a background with the song when i put it on youtube you know just a a, a picture i wanted a, a cool video to go with it and um yeah, that that took about seven months total, um, just for the two yeah. minutes or whatever. <laughs> I think a lot of people, particularly people who aren't creative, they don't understand how much time is involved just to do like these little visual effects, even to make a song. Right? It takes it takes hours, weeks, months sometimes. So especially when you're um, you're hopelessly uh, picky and perfectionist, like some of us are, um, probably to to my detriment but yeah because i'll like obsess over like one second of a song and just doesn't sound right and i'll change the instrument style you know put some effects on like the the symbol in the background or i use a totally different thing and a person listening to it would barely notice any difference but for me it's like a huge difference and so that's why um i don't have a huge volume of work like you know it takes me weeks to produce one song um, sometimes like a month and you know that's like staying up till five in the mornings like all of a sudden you, you get that rush of like creativity 
and then you do it and then you wake up the next day and you're like that actually doesn't sound as good as i thought <laughs> you know so you go back and and change some things um but yeah yeah i'm definitely a uh a slow moving uh composer when it, and artist really when it comes to all that stuff but but i definitely prefer to have quality over quantity and so i, I try to make sure that everything that i put out is as good as i can possibly do it at that time um with whatever i have which for a long time i was just using a really old computer and you know some old samples and trying to trying to do the best that i could with that and uh, luckily over the years I've, I've upgraded a little bit but it still it still takes a while um like the technical aspect of it and the creative aspect of it are just are really slow going if you really want it to be, you know, something special, then you have to put in the time to to make it that way. So yeah, because how do you find the time to do all this stuff, right? Because if you're doing martial arts, you're doing music, you're doing visual effects. I mean, you must be super busy. I mean, you say you stay up till four a.m., five a.m. When do you sleep? Sleep? What's that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's that, right? Yeah. Well, the main thing is like I don't really. This is a shock. But I don't really have that much of a social life, so it's it's not super hard to to find the time to do this because this is just what I've always done, you know. And and I do freelance work, so I'm kind of doing everything um, on my own from home on my own schedule. And um, but really before that, it was just a lot of years. Like this is all that I did. Like I would wake up and try and figure out, you know, how do I do animation or whatever or how do i learn how to edit videos and just just mess around with it how do how do i uh make make music because i didn't know anything about like midi connections or compute how to hook it up to the computer like i had to figure all that out when i was like 14 15 or something like that there was no youtube to go on and say how do you do this or or manual and so it was just really really a lot of trial and error and it just it just took forever but i think um, once you do that, it kind of develops a certain mindset maybe where you don't mind spending the time to figure out some crazy complicated thing and takes weeks, months, whatever. Like it's, I guess I can't say it's a discipline thing. Cause, cause, um, cause I get frustrated a lot and I have like, screw this. I give up and walk away. But then the next day I'm like, nah, nah, I gotta do it. But, um, yeah it's just a matter of tinkering with it and um it also helps if you have a drive because i'm just a naturally kind of a, a nerdy guy like i really like science and technology and stuff so it's interesting to read about the latest computer hardware music stuff and so i kind of live in that world anyway and so i'm always just i'll, I'll tinker with music i'll tinker with vfx um luckily it's gotten to a point where I can actually, you know, get jobs doing some of this stuff and make a little bit of income because before I was just doing it on my own accord. Um, yeah. Do you, I mean, have you sent any of your stuff to any game companies or visual effects companies or anything like that? No. Um, I've seriously thought about moving because I live about two and a half hours north of... Um, Austin, which is where like retro studios and some of those places are. But the, the problem is like, I live kind of out in the country between like, you know, a lot of the big cities and stuff. And um, for for the most part, I just kind of kept my stuff to myself because I didn't really think it was ever a viable like, you know, uh, path. Because um, what I originally was doing was game development. That was kind of my big thing when I was when I first got out of high school um, I had learned how to do like you know 2d game design and stuff um, the same software that uh, they used to make uh, five nights at Freddy's and you know the, these kind of 2d games um, I had learned figured out all that and I moved to Atlanta to do some game design stuff like that was my main focus but um, that was actually a little bit kind of uh, like in the wrong place at the wrong time type thing because this is before you had steam and you know xbox live these sort of indie um indie platforms and so 
at that time when you were working on a game as just a small studio or whatever, because I was working on stuff with my my roommate who was uh, you know also doing the same kind of stuff. We wanted to form a little studio, but indie studios were were really hard to maintain back then because you either made it big and got some big publisher to pick you up or whatever, or if you did manage to actually produce like a CD or whatever, it ended up in like the 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 two dollar Walmart uh, discount bin, you know, the, the the shovelware type thing, and so there was really there was really no outlet at the time, and we were doing you know like ripoffs of like Pac Man and stuff. Like some some Asian game company wanted us to to pay us to like you know just do like basically knockoff games for the the, the Asian market or whatever China or Taiwan or whatever it was. And uh, that's not very satisfying creatively because I'm like, oh, I have all these ideas, this big, like, you know, Chrono Trigger style, like RPG thing. But it didn't seem like it was worth spending two or three years developing something. And then all you could really do is like post it on a forum and like 10 people would see it and, you know, nothing would really, really come of it. And so I said, all right, I'm just going to shift shift gears a little bit because i'd be getting a little bit better at at music i'd been doing you know graphics music game stuff like all together but i I don't think i was particularly great at any of them but i decided to focus on music and so i moved back to texas Mm -hmm. and i kind of you know i uh i I sent a lot of my stuff to uh, there was job sites where you can kind of subscribe to submit some of your stuff to like you know it's like a job posting board type things like this studio needs some music for their underwater documentary and submit some demos or whatever and maybe they'll get in touch with you um but there's so many people doing that i think that the the likelihood of them seeing your stuff as someone who has like you know no college credentials no real background like history in the industry versus someone else who's like composed for like five different films or whatever at the time like it it is really hard to compete in that area and so that was that was a struggle. But the irony is that as soon as I shifted my focus to music, all of a sudden you had like smartphones and, um, you know, indie games and stuff suddenly became like the old school 2D like indie games that I was making when I was like 15 or whatever back in the, the 90s. All of a sudden you could actually do something with that. And so that was a little frustrating because I'd kind of gotten out of that scene. Um, but that was, yeah, it's just one of those ironies of of life i guess but i'd already committed to focusing on music and doing like game remixes and stuff and people seem to like it people seem to enjoy some of my my metroid stuff and the, the other random little things that i put out and the nice thing about doing remixes is that there's a built-in audience there you know people who like zelda you know they might not know who you are or care who you are if you just put out your all your originals, because I had a lot of original stuff on YouTube for a long time that I had like 20 views or whatever. And if I got like 100 views, I was like shocked, <laughs> surprised and, ha- and elated, you know. But um, but yeah, I started doing this game stuff just because I've been doing that anyway on my own. I just never really shared it. But I started putting some of that out there and getting a lot of uh, good feedback, a lot of views and stuff. And so I realized that if I really want to make it as a composer, at least get you know recognized, um, doing game remixes, especially with my style, because I kind of have my own sort of cinematic type style, um, that was a good way to do it. And so I just kind of kept with it, and it actually started to snowball. And then I you know started doing these albums, yeah, pretty popular. And then I did that uh, my Zelda thing, and uh, I put that on Kickstarter, and it did very well um i wanted to have each one i wanted to kind of push it more because the first was just all digital with metroid and i thought it would be really cool to actually have a cd you know album that people actually can can have in their hands you know i'd I'd feel more like an authentic uh musician than just some guy in his bedroom making you know game stuff for fun and so i ended up making a, a limited run of cds for my chrono trigger album and those were really well received. And then I wanted to push it forward again because vinyl has become really popular in the last few years again, um, making a big comeback. 
And so I, I wanted to have a vinyl release from my Zelda album. And so being super expensive, you know, you, you, you need some good funding for that. So I did a Kickstarter and it did really well. And a lot of people really enjoyed it. I mean, that's, I think that's really what sort of keeps you going when you're kind of a, uh, a, uh, you know, do it yourself kind of composer person. It's like people really enjoy it and they send you messages asking for more. Like that's, that's kind of the fuel that, that keeps, keeps that fire burning. Yeah. And, uh, have you been affected by COVID at all? I'd imagine not if you're a very, very much an introvert and keep to yourself. Well, I mean, about as much as most people, I guess, because here in Texas anyway, um, I'm not sure how much you, you know about the Southern US, but they, they tend to not to take science and, you know, medical emergencies, such as a pandemic, for example, all that seriously. I, I do know that, yes. <laughs> the the bible bout is yeah so yeah we uh we they they kind of shut it down but people didn't really still didn't really wear masks all that much and didn't really take it seriously but then i guess um once it got to a point where it was becoming like a major crisis like then they really did shut everything down for a while the streets were like ghost towns you know which was actually really nice because the traffic here is pretty bad going into town so <laughs> It, it, it was like a kind of a zombie apocalypse without the zombies so that part was pretty cool but but um yeah for the most part um it's been like this you know this this dark cloud that's been slowly closing in because luckily i live out in a little suburb town I, I live away from the cities and i don't really go uh out all that much and so i've been doing my best to avoid it but it slowly starts to creep in like some of my friends would catch it and then my girlfriend ended up catching it um she works at amazon and amazon's basically a covid factory because you have thousands of people in close proximity and a lot of which you know they don't really wear their mask properly or whatever or if they're sick they'll still come into work you know crazy things like that and so she ended up catching it. so it did kind of get close to home but uh i just got my my first vaccine shot the microchips i mean um i'm still not getting any 5g yet i'm I'm waiting for that but yeah uh the, the as far as my work and everything um it did have a bad impact in that i had a few gigs lined up um i had a film score thing that i was supposed to do last year that the film industry really got impacted by covid um, especially like overseas um because you don't have people in theaters anymore so that and some of those gigs got like pushed back or canceled or changed or whatever so it did kind of impact my work but as far as my my uh just daily life um i'm already like living like i'm in a pandemic so that's that's just kind of my natural state you know being being introverted as you said and um hasn't been hasn't been too bad luckily we're we're kind of coming out of the the slope hopefully with the vaccines and all of that stuff um the world can kind of get to some sort of normalcy if that's that's possible i i still think that um you know this whole like zoom uh communication culture which really sort of grew out of the the covid emergency actually is is pretty nice because now you have a lot more people communicating virtually and it's a lot easier to get a group of people together you know through a through a through a conference type meeting thing than it is in person because some of my my martial arts classes you know um we would have people like because it's it's such a it requires so much dedication and a lot of time investment to learn you know just how to stand properly or how to move and and use your whole body together like it's not for everyone and so our classes have been kind of you know shrinking down as the, the like overall martial arts sort of uh craze has kind of settled down a bit but um but now we have you know classes bigger than we used to virtually because people who live in like you know england or you know the northern united states um all of these people can show up to a virtual class so in a way the uh the online sort of thing has actually had a at least a, a nice side effect as opposed to just totally shutting everything because of course you can't have a martial arts class where you're touching throwing people around 
when there's a pandemic going on. So, you know, we've we've had to shut those down over the last year. But but it's actually it's actually had that nice um, that nice uh, secondary effect of getting people together, you know, communicating again virtually at least. So yeah, that, that's interesting. I think there'll be two elements once normality somewhat returns you'll have some things that will go back to the way they were and there'll be some things that are forever changed yeah like to, um yeah as to what that'll be i mean you might be able to do both both uh zoom and and venues yeah you have like offices and things like that um news a lot of the, the newscasters are doing that from home and i'm pretty sure that once you start doing something from home um you kind of have a hard time going back into the office again. And so I think it it really will kind of change the overall sort of work culture, you know, because if you can accomplish everything virtually from here, talking to someone, you know, through Zoom or whatever, um, why, why have an environment where you have to, you know, get everyone together again? Like offices are getting more like open. I think the ones that are open have like, covid walls or whatever big glass walls restaurants are are kind of designed differently um the good thing at least is that people are paying a lot more attention to personal hygiene which is can be a problem especially in the south where um gets a little dirty sometimes but uh people i think you know once once covid started happening um and uh the flu actually started going down the flu levels because people were wearing masks and social distancing. So it had this whole secondary effect of like, you know, some other annoying seasonal type, you know, stuff that happens actually got better because of that. So it's, it's definitely the most, um, the most impactful thing I think we've had in our generation. I agree. You know, your grandparents have like, you know, the war and everything, but for a long time, you know, we've had really nothing that impacted our culture or our daily life like this. And so all of a sudden you have people who have to wear masks and they're complaining, oh, it's, you know, it's too restricting, you know, it's, it's, it's controlling my life or whatever. If this is, if this is your idea of what's controlling your life or having it, having it rough, then, you know, go back a few decades and they, <laughs> they might have their, their minds a little bit changed. But I think for the most part, um, if we ever get out of it, because they're always having, you know, new variants and stuff. But I think, I think uh, it's been an interesting eye opener. And uh, it it's uh, certainly made a lot of changes as far as, you know, the way people think about going out again. Mm. Definitely, definitely an interesting time to be alive. So as someone who's living in Texas, and from what I gather, you seem to have a different mentality than a lot of the rhetoric that goes around there. So Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. So why do you choose to stay in Texas? What is it about Texas that you love as opposed to any of the other states? Well, I um uh, at this point I've traveled um, you know, a good portion of the US and you know, I'm a Texan. I was born in Fort Worth. Um this is my home. I I grew up in Florida actually, but all of my family's here and really it's it's you know, you have places like Austin and, you know, Dallas. Um, it's, it's I think, different than people kind of imagine from the outside. Um, most people, when they think of Texas, just think of, you know, a dusty town where everyone's wearing cowboy boots and, you know, ready to have a shootout at the at the corral or whatever. The, the, the typical kind of, you know. Yeah, that's the stereotype. Stereotype, you know, but Texas is, is such a big place and it's actually very diverse that you have a lot of really uh, sort of progressive artsy stuff going on here. Again, like, you know, Austin with Retro Studios. Um, you have a lot of, like, game stuff happening here. Film stuff is starting to happen here. Um, definitely music. Um, Austin's a really big music town. So there's 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 a lot to like in Texas, I think. Um, yeah. It's just you have to, you know, sometimes walk around some of the, uh, you know, the the southern stereotypes that do exist unfortunately so just avoid them pretty much yeah yeah, yeah. that's my philosophy anyway yeah. that's why i do all the stuff that that i do because um i definitely didn't fit in with like the 
the farmer uh, kids and stuff when I was in school. So, but I do like, you know, getting out and adventuring, you know, going hiking, things like that. Um, and there's a lot of nice areas in Texas if you're into that sort of thing. So I think it, it's as far as places to live, um, you could do much worse mm. than living in Texas. So, so you do take holidays? Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. I just thought you might not because you work so much. <laughs> I've, uh, yeah, we try to travel every now and then, you know, get out of the house. Um, definitely when you spend a lot of your time in the same sort of room, just working on the same kind of stuff day in, day out, you know, all day, all night, it definitely starts to mentally sort of turn you into like a hermit. And, uh, you, you, you have to get out. That's that's why I say, you know, having a good balance between the, the mental and the physical is extremely important. You know, get out, exercise, you know, martial arts, hike, whatever you want to do, surfing or whatever. If I was still living in Florida, I would probably be surfing all the time because I, I like the ocean a lot. But um, it's definitely important to to balance that out because otherwise, um, if, if, if I didn't do that, given the amount of time that I spent in front of the computer and the keyboard and everything, I feel like I, I probably would have grown into like the chair by now. It looked like the, the thing in Alien or whatever that's you know part of part of the ship or whatever. So I think it's definitely important to to get out and you know be a part of the world. And and Texas is is definitely a nice place. We have a, some interesting stuff. We have a, a nice uh, park called Dinosaur Valley where you can go walk with the dinosaur footprints and stuff. So, and that's just, you know, right around the corner. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff here. So I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, uh, you could definitely do a lot worse, mm. but our power system could certainly use some upgrading because <laughs> when you run out of power in the middle of a, uh, an Arctic freeze, it's, it's definitely not fun. And that's all from the, the rhetoric of wanting to be independent and, you know, Texas kind of has this mentality of being their own country you know, talk about seceding from the U.S. all the time, which, you know, it won't happen is silly. But uh, but yeah, um, it's definitely one of the more interesting states, I would say. Of course, I'm biased. But then again, I have seen quite a lot of the, the United States already. And uh, I, li I like it here. So it does get a little too hot in the uh, in the summer, though. Pros and cons to everything. But um. Hey, that's a good place to wrap up. Thank you so much for doing this. Now, if anyone wants to follow any of your stuff, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, well, I uh, have a lot of stuff on YouTube. My uh, online name is Samo Studios. So youtube.com, Samo Studios. Um, my main website is samostudios.com. And um, this, uh, this August, I'm planning to release a... Uh, an updated version of my Metroid Cinematica album. So that'll, I think, be worth uh, following for if you might happen to be interested in Metroid. I'm going to try and get a vinyl release for it. So that'll be pretty cool, I think. Cool. And uh, yeah. Sweet. And if if anyone wants to do one of your Zoom martial arts course courses, how, how do people do that? Well, right now it's, it's kind of a, a, a private sort of class thing. Uh. But, uh, I'm hoping, hoping one day, maybe once the pandemic sort of dissipates, to open up my own school somewhere. Um, so that'll definitely be another thing that I'll uh, I'll have on my my site. But uh, for now, um, just trying to survive the the zombie apocalypse uh, 2020 2021 crossover that's happening. Yep, very much, very much agree. Cool. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for doing this, man. Uh, before we go, are you going to jam something on the keys? Do you want to jam anything on the keys? Yeah. Anything you want to jam, man. So we were talking about uh, talking about uh, Zelda. So my most of my brainstorming stuff I do with my old keyboard. And this is the 20-year-old you know, keyboard, so it doesn't sound great, but it sounds has uh, programmed the way that I want it to. And so I'll usually do like.
that's kind of how I will come up with my my stuff. I have it like velocity sensitive with like a timpani and all that. And 90% of my brainstorm is using my old keyboard coming up with, you know, how does this sound, you know, if I add some some character to it. But um, but yeah, I uh, I still love my keyboard. Most of my music originally actually used samples from my keyboard, even though they're they're kind of bad quality samples. They're really compressed and everything because there's limited memory. But they add, they have a, an expressiveness, you know, that that kind of uh, reactiveness to the to the playing, and that's kind of what I try to emulate with my stuff. And so that's people ask me what libraries do you use? How do you get the sound? A lot of it is actually just layered with my old timey keyboard adding in kind of like the backbone to it and has it takes a lot of processing and how to how to you know mix it to sound good but yeah sometimes if it ain't broke uh there's no point in fixing it so totally agree totally agree well hey man this has been great thank you so much for doing this i very much appreciate it yeah i appreciate the chat it's been really fun Yeah. yeah all right well that's the show everyone make sure you share like and subscribe support the bro sam follow all his stuff on youtube uh, it is great. You can definitely appreciate it, even if you're not a musician or an audio engineer. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Stay safe, everyone. Bye.